Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you babes of the badass. Welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me, as always, is the beautiful and lovely Carla Wainwright. Hi, Carla. Hey, Leah. How's it going today? Pretty fantastic, but we do have a heavy topic that we're going to be covering today. Um, hashtag Me Too, and in general, consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a heavy topic, but a really important one to discuss. And um, yeah, I'm feeling like it's something that needs to be on our minds and aware of. So I'm really glad we're bringing this to our listeners today. Yeah, and before we did start this discussion, you made a really good point that like it had some really big moments in the last couple of years, but things like COVID have swept it under the rug. And I'm just wondering if you want to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, that that's my impression, uh, you know, for f- absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the history of the Me Too movement in a moment. Um, but it certainly was very much present uh, in the media and social media. It was a discussion lots of people were having, you know, in person and circles, all of those sorts of things. And it just feels to me that um, there are a lot of other things that are taking our attention um, that are important. But the issue of sexual harassment and assault <clears throat> and consent, none of this has gone away. Um, it's going to continue right. to be there and present. And I And I feel like we you know, in this modern day, we have a bit of a goldfish mentality that, you know, our attention span is so limited until the next thing captures us and then the next thing. And I really think that this is something that, you know, it it isn't a moment. It's a, it's an established thing that actually needs to keep going and growing. So I hope that this conversation is a part of keeping it in people's awareness and, and uh, maybe reigniting those conversations or thoughts that really need to happen. I agree. And it was very much like the length of a tweet. It's out there, it's done, it's gone, but it's not for the people that it happened to. And it's continuing to happen on a regular basis. Um, You are resident historian. Do you have any facts of where the Me Too movement actually was first established? Sure, I'd love to share that. So the Me Too movement was first established actually in 2006 by American activist uh, Tanara Burke. And this was coming from her own uh, experience of sexual violence. And so she really felt like there was a need for better support and visibility and resources for people who are impacted by sexual violence and um, particular helping young women of color from low income communities. So she um, started talking about this Me Too, um, this idea of Me Too and really creating that community where it's like, yes, I've experienced this and so have I and so have I. And um, it wasn't really, though, until 2017 that the hashtag that, you know, most of us are familiar with, right. uh, Me Too, really gained momentum um, after the allegations were made against uh, Harvey Weinstein. Was it and, really 2017? Um, it seems like it was like way sooner than that. Otherwise, we've just all been living in a time warp here. Does it, mean, seem more recent like than, more recent? does it seem more recent? Like I thought it was like 2019 yeah. or something like that, but no, yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah. 
2017, and and that kind of exploded when the New York Times published an article um, with allegations against him. And and as a result of that, those allegations and and that article, you know, another 50 allegations were made. And uh, then, of course, in 2020, he was um, convicted for only two of the five sexual assault charges. So, yeah, lots of other uh, charges that are still pending. Um, And then back to 2017. So that article came out on October 5th. uh, And then Elisa Milano, um, actor Elisa Milano on October 15th, she called on people to share their experiences of sexual assault and harassment using the hashtag me too. And that that's when everything exploded. And, you know, you were seeing, you know, post after post after post in your socials of women that, you know, women in your community, women from all over the world, maybe just that's all they would write would be hashtag me too and creating this um, sense of solidarity and uh, visibility for all of us who've experienced sexual violence in some way. Honestly, the statistics of women that have, you know, been assaulted in one way or another from something so small all the way up to the most extreme, like it's impacted all of us. I'm sure like I would, unless someone's maybe a child, even then, like, I don't know who has not been affected by, you know, a me too moment. It's true. And I, you know, I think they say statistics, it's, you know, three out of five women, but I I just don't even think that's right. It's, you know, okay, if we're going to use a number like five, it's like probably like 4.7 out of five or 4.9 out of five, you know, like, I just think that um, you'd be hard pressed to find a woman. And, you know, let's also say like men are also victims of sexual assault, but it's prime or violence of some kind, but it's primarily women. Um, yeah, I would be hard pressed to have a conversation with any woman that I know who hasn't had some experience, um, some negative experience of some kind. Of course. I mean, the patriarchy thinks that they have that right to make comments, even just like walking down the street and be like, hey, nice tits. Want to fuck? You know, like that's wrong. But y'all can't shut your fucking mouth about it, can you? You know, all yeah. the way up to full blown rape and being in situations that no person wants to be in. Yeah. Yeah. There were like, so when Weinstein, you know, when Weinstein was, the whistle was blown on him, there were so many other people like Louis CK, Bill Cosby, who recently is getting out of fucking jail on what a technicality. And he had over 60 women come forward too. Um, Who else is on that list? I'm missing tons of them because, you know, like you said, the, in quotation marks, the moment is slipping past us, but like, no celebrity was safe, basically. Nope, no celebrity was safe. Yeah, or and rightly so. Is that you know finally, um, women were feeling empowered to call out their accusers, and you know just to pause for a moment, like the bravery um, that that takes, the courage that that takes to uh, be in the public spotlight like that. And then of course we all know what happens when, when women come forward like that, you know, they were getting lots of support. They continue to get lots of support, but there's always a section of the population that moves into slut shaming or blaming the victim or calling them liars or all of these things. And I mean, these are of course the huge barriers that we face to actually um, reporting all of these things because it's fucking hard. And it's also, it's hard in an aspect too, when we look on the level of like, say celebrity alone, if it's somebody you looked up to, 
someone that you enjoyed. Um, people have a really hard time, you know, taking a woman's side. And one of those for me, like an example that was really hard and I've sworn them off and it fucking sucks is Marilyn Manson. And that's more in the more recent things like uh, Rachel Evan Wood or Evan Rachel Wood. One of the two, I'm sorry. She's fucking lovely. She actually went to court um, even well before releasing his name and getting the statute of limitations extended for people to make reports when they've been sexually assaulted. But like, that was a big one for me. Like his pale emperor album is probably my top five albums of all time. And now I refuse to listen to it because he's such a total piece of shit. And so it can be hard for people to be like, Oh no, he didn't do it. I side with Marilyn or who the fuck ever they're standing up for. But at what point do you separate the artist from the piece of shit that they truly are? Absolutely. I mean, this isn't entirely what we're talking about here, but I felt the same way about Michael Jackson. So, yeah, anyway. Still assault. Still totally still assault. And um, just back to the celebrity piece. So for someone to accuse someone who's a celebrity who has so much power and influence and money and the capacity to really bury you and, you know, make your life not only a living hell, but perhaps even ruin your career. Yeah, I just really think we need to really acknowledge um, these people who are so incredibly brave and who push yeah. the conversation forward and give us, the rest of us, the courage to actually, um, if we so choose, because not everybody chooses to do that, but to, to make our, st- our stories a little more well-known as well. Yeah, it was a snowball effect. And I'm sure that there's got to be an increase in reporting since, you know, at least 2017. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I did a little bit of looking and there's been a, a huge increase in reporting. It sort of kind of depends where across the across the reporting. So, you know, there's been sort of a marginal increase in reporting, at least this is in Canada. And I imagine it's probably pretty similar in the United States and, and maybe in, in some other countries. Um, police reports went up only about like 10 or, or 13%, which isn't, you know, that much, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely crisis centers, uh, counseling centers, any anywhere where people need support, that just blew up. And of course, um, there was no increase in funding, no increase in the amount of resources available. So what happens is that, you know, someone takes that vulnerable step and then, you know, is perhaps even having to relive their trauma or whatever, you know, it's can be really big to to bring this stuff to the surface and be present with it and then be told, yeah, there's like a nine to 12 month waiting list. We can't help you. Um, so really frustrating that people who have the decision-making power um, regarding funding or programs and all of those things didn't step up uh, in the same way that people have stepped up um, to, you know, reclaim their own power, but the resources have not really made themselves available in the way that needs to be. Well, we even see that with COVID and how people have been isolated and there aren't those, you know, the fundings um, and resources for mental health services. And we still don't know the fallout that's going to come from that. Right. So it's the world at a whole is lacking for these types of services for people on a mental health level and support. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So what kind of movement has, or so has the movement affected change? Um, Yeah, well, I think that, yes, there has definitely been some change. Um, I think that, you know, there's a level of awareness. 
And, uh, you know, there have been conversations started, but like I said at, at the beginning of, of our, our podcast today, um, I'm worried that it's kind of fallen off the radar for a lot of people. And interestingly, there's, you know, some evidence that the change that you would might, you might expect hasn't really happened. So um, I found the statistic, which I actually find quite heartbreaking. So this in, in 2018 in February, so the Angus Reid Institute that does, you know, these, these massive polls, this is so crazy. They found that millennial men, so aged 18 to 34, were the most likely to believe that sexually suggestive actions and behaviors are acceptable at work. Acceptable. That blows my mind. Acceptable at work. Yeah. So it's not like the 50 plus crowd Jesus where, Christ. you know, it's like, ah, so we've always been doing it. But these are like the young people who are like active in social media and having these conversations and their peers are the ones who are standing up. They're the ones who still thought it was okay. That's um, so fucked up. Get your fucking heads out of your asses. It's never okay anywhere at any time with anyone, you dumb motherfuckers. Oh my God. Now I'm just raging. Yep. Now I'm gonna go now I'm gonna go kick a kitten because of you assholes. <laughs> Don't kick a kitten. But uh, <laughs> what this shows is that um holy shit, there's a lot of work to do. And uh yeah, super disheartening. Super disheartening to to hear that young um young men still still continue to think that uh, inappropriate behavior, not just like behaviors, but actions are acceptable in a workplace. Well, you know, what's really funny is, well, it's not really funny, like haha, funny, but to that point, I can think of one of my earliest um, incidences and it's not huge on the grand scale of things that women have been through, but my very first job was at Blockbuster Video and we, there's a required uniform Remember Blockbuster Video, you guys? The millennials are like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Um, <laughs> but the required uniform was like this blue polo shirt and then like tan khaki pants. And at that time, I was probably like 19 years old, still wearing full back underwear. And this asshole that I worked with, he says to me, he's like, I can see your panty lines. Would you like me to go buy you some thongs? And I was so like, what the fuck? First of all, why is it horrible to see panty lines? Why are second, why are you going to buy me underwear? Third, why are you looking at my ass? And like, I was not by any means the badass that I am today that would have turned around and bitch slapped that fucking idiot. But like, that was, that was a workplace. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. I had an experience, uh, in, uh, Sejep, which is college in, in Quebec. Um, my, uh, my English professor, he, you know, you would go see him. He'd close the door. Next yeah. thing his hand was on your knee. No. And, yeah. It was really awful, like really awful. And, you know, I'm 18 and, uh, he's in a position of authority and power and then you don't want to fail the course. And I mean, it, and it just became like more and more suggestive and massively uncomfortable. And um, I'm pretty sure that the administration knew about that because he was doing that pretty across the board and people, you know, had were talking about it and he'd been there for years and years, but yeah, it was fine, apparently. And, you know, those things that are kind of insidious, right? So you have that experience, you feel like shit. Um, it makes you feel like really gross. And it, there's just these kind of like really, yeah, like I said, insidious effects that kind of take hold in your psyche and be, make you question things. And, you know, 
I'm experienced, you know, I've experienced two sexual assaults in my life. There's sort of, you know, much bigger experience of sexual violence, but these still, these smaller experiences also have had a profound effect because cumulatively they have impacted my life and really impacted how I saw myself as a young woman growing up and where my place was in the world and how much power I held or didn't hold and all of these things. And I, if those things hadn't happened, it's hard to say, like, would my life be pretty different because I would have been able to carry myself differently or make different choices or all of these sorts of things. So I think that's something that any woman can think of, to be honest, like, like we mentioned at the start, like none of us are, are, you know, oblivious to it really. It happens to all us all of us in one way or another. And it really just like, you know, then there's the whole argument online of like, well, not all men are like that. Okay, well, you know what? Start start walking the walk then, asshole. Like, you know, stop just being like, oh, it's not all men. It's not all men. Well, it's a fucking lot of you. A lot of you are fucking idiots. And um, you should, you know, give your heads a shake and learn what true consent is. Um, yeah. Even if you're yeah. already in bed with a woman and she changes her fucking mind, I've been there, and then they've pressed on past it, even I've said no. That is wrong. It doesn't matter if I'm naked. If I say no, it means fucking no. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are lots of men who I think are really respectful and are advocates for women and champion them. And there are a lot of men who don't. And, you know, they are are repeat offenders, right? And it goes on and on and on and on. And and you're right. Like, if we come to this whole idea of consent, um, no does mean no. And the right of a person to decide that like, it can be yes, yes, yes. And then it's no, and it's still no. <laughs> right? still no and they have a hard time being like, you know, Oh, come on. Just let me finish. Yeah. One, one thing that I will say, and I, I don't know, it's interesting. So like, I just gave that little bit of information about the millennials the millennials being the age group that still found, you know, the greatest uh, number of I'm, I'm saying this wrong, but you know, the number of people who felt like it was the sexual harassment in action was okay. Um, you know, my kids are teenagers and their education, um, well, of course at home, but at the, in the school system is so radically different than the sexual education that we had. I mean, consent was never like, I don't even, I didn't even no. think I knew what that word They're was like, when I was your bathing suit area. Like that's what, <laughs> Yeah. Euphemisms. And yeah, but uh, they've actually had like classes on consent and I'm sure, have you seen that video on tea and consent? I think a long time ago, you might've sent it to me, but I smoke weed. So I forget things. (laughs) Anyway, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's, it's really, it's really well done. It's about, you know, like how you like your tea and do you want tea and all of these things. And it's done in a way that's really accessible and understandable for young people. And so in the conversations I've had with my teens and, um, you know, so I've got a son and two daughters. So the conversations are similar, but not always the same. I'm feeling actually really hopeful about for my son really understanding what it means to get consent yeah. and for my daughters, what it means to give consent. And it works both ways, right? Like, cause I don't want to, it's just not like a one direction, however, in a general sense. Um, so I am really hopeful that like maybe these millennials are going to be like the last generation or it'll peter out at least that people, who, young people who are really coming up through now through, you know, the mm-hmm. teenagers and 
you know, the, the early, the early 20 somethings are, yeah, are making some different choices and are having a better understanding, like their capacity to, to have a conversation that's like nuanced and um, understanding, you know, far outweighs anything that I could do, like even throughout my 20s. Well, I even see that in regards to how people want to be identified as, and they're teaching that in school. And I see it in these young people and the way that they talk, you know, like I identify as, you know, she, her, and this is becoming a regular part of their lexicon. So if they are teaching things like consent, I really like you hope that it makes a difference. Yeah, I hope that it makes a difference for sure. And, you know, as, as a parent to three young people, and I, I'm sure that all the listeners can understand, you know, feel the same way is like, we don't want the young, our, these young people to grow up and have the same shitty experiences that we did. Like my trauma, I'm still unraveling that, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that, oh, I've reached, I've reached some new level and I'm, I'm healing or healed and like, nope. <laughs> There's one, you know, one smallest like, thing can kick you right back yeah. to that moment of when you experience pure hell. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I don't want, I don't want any young person to have to go through, you know, what I've gone through or what anyone has had to deal with. So yeah, that's my little rant. I'm just really hoping that um, these conversations uh, are going to be meaningful and kind of really begin to shift behaviors in a dramatic way. Yeah. And I mean, this is a heavier topic to talk about, but if you ever, if you're out there listening and you ever need support, you know, both Carla and I would definitely, we're here to listen to you, to be your friend, to be whatever you need. Um, We now have an Instagram, so you can find us at the Radical Sex Witches on Instagram. If you're not there, we have all of our other contact info in the show notes. Um, next time I'm pretty excited for this, Carla. We had an incredible interview with Luna Veronica. She's an astrologer and a business witch. She actually has a, has a school for baby witches and you guys are going to absolutely love her. So as always, I'm little Leah and I'm Carla. We're the radical sex witches and we will see you next time. curious about how to liberate your inner witch and experience more pleasure, turn on, and a deeper connection to life? Head over to embracingshaktitemple.com to learn how you can shed old limiting expectations, beliefs, and patterns, and finally let yourself be guided by your inner feminine wisdom and magic.